Welcome to our weekly, and Baruch Hashem, we mean weekly Wednesday night Shir Gemach Simateva, Yerushmas Nachman Yaakov Ben Tzihish. Allah Shalom. This week is Pasha's Vayelach on its own. Usually we have Nitzav and Vayelach together, and that becomes still a major Pasha of 70 Psukim. Nitzav and Vayelach are separate, Nitzav and 40, and Vayelach only 30 Psukim. We are, of course, as we all know, in the, court, in the midst of Aseris Imei Teshuvah. The Ten Days of Repentance. The Ten Days of Repentance, of course, include Rosh Hashanah, the two days, and Yom Kippur, the one day, and the seven intermediate days, which are not considered intermediate days, as the gather and Passover and Sukkot, but the seven days in between, therefore known as the total of Asadah Simei Ten Days of Repentance. Let me ask Hashem discuss the ten days of repentance. Let me ask Hashem discuss the other today, which was some Gedalia, the fast of Gedalia. And of course, the upcoming fast of Yom Kippur. And, needless to say, we need to talk about Shabbos, Pashas Vayelech, known as, by the name of its Haftorah, Shabbos Shuva, as the, Pasha, the Haftorah begins Shuva Yisrael. And according to those, its name is called Pashas Tshuva, being that it is the Shabbos of the Asadah Simei Tshuva, as we just mentioned. Let us first, of course, focus on our Parsha. Meshach Rabbeinu says to the Jews, as he's talking for the th- past 36 and a half days, this being the 37th day in which Meshach is talking, in which he completes the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. Thank you for those who correct me in shul when they say I can't pronounce it. Meishe Rabbeinu says, chapter 31, verse 2, Perek Lamed Aleph, Pasuk Beis. Today I'm 120 years old. I can no longer go or come. This is a reference, of course, to the Meish Rabbeinu's last day on the physical world, Baal Medin, as it is known. His last day in a body, in a, in a, as his soul is embodied in a physical goof, Gashmi. Meish Rabbeinu says, Today I'm 120 years old. Your mother, if you're keeping score at home, Mesech Tis Kedushin, Daf Lamed Ches Amir Aleph, 38, side 1. says, What's the word interpretation? What's the interpretation of the word Hayyim? Today, for today, on that very day that Meish Rabbeinu is speaking, which was Zion Other, it was Meish Rabbeinu's birthday. And he completed exactly 120 full years. And what do we tell the person on his 120th birthday? Have a nice day. 
Mesha passed away on his birthday. Says the Yamada, this teaches us. God sits and completes the years of the righteous from day to day, month to month. And this makes, of course, reference to the passing of a tzaddik when the tzaddik passes away on his birthday. And this being, of course, the full cycle of the years of the person. What is the actual significance of passing away on his birthday? In Igeres HaKedish Perich of Zion, in Igeres HaKedish of Zion, in Tanya, Tanya we know is divided into five parts, it tells us that the tzaddik, the soul of a tzaddik, the righteous person, has more influence on his disciples after passing away than when he is physically alive in the world. I want to give you a similar physical example, which the Rebbe speaks, spoke many times about. A tune, a nign. The difference between the tune with words and the tune without words. The tune with words can be the same lively tune as the one without the words. However, when the tune is with words, the tune is restricted to whatever the words are saying, to whatever the words are dictating of that song, of that tune. Whereas a tune without words is limitless. And therefore, can take us to that much higher of a level, can bring us that much more joy than the tune with words. And similarly, is the soul of the tzaddik. In the physical lifetime of the tzaddik, when the soul is contained in a physical body, the soul does not completely radiate in the world. The thoughts given over by the tzaddik, the words that we hear, the holy words from his holy mouth, are limited to the words and the thoughts and the motions. We've spoken many times how it needs to be understood what this is all about, the motions, the thoughts of a tzaddik. The tzaddik speaks. Each and every word is accounted for. Each and every word has a message, has a lesson. More than that, even the way the tzaddik holds something in his hand, even the cough of a tzaddik, the hand motion of a tzaddik, is something that has effect on the entire world over. But it's only the effect that is brought in the f- through the physical action of the tzaddik. Mashenkin, after the tzaddik passed away, the tzaddik no longer has any limitations. And the tzaddik's neshama, by its source, has such spiritual energy, it radiates, connects, blesses all those that were connected to him throughout anyone that does any service to God because of the teachings of the tzaddik remain connected even more so when the tzaddik's neshama 
is at its highest places. And therefore able to ascertain still the tshuva in their hearts, the repentance and good deeds in their hearts. And interesting to note, because the words of tzaddikim, achayomim v'kayomim lo'ad, are everlasting, because the words of tzaddikim are perpetual, they always live on as a legacy, they always live on constant existence, Therefore, the words of the tzaddik, which reach out to somebody, even after the tzaddik's passing, still seek to connect the person to the tzaddik, in that way, as if they were a full-fledged disciple in the lifetime of the tzaddik. So therefore, in a sense... When a tzaddik passes away, he completes his birth. On the day that he passes, his gift to the world becomes fully re- revealed, becomes goes fully into effect. Whereas the day he was born, it's only on potential. So God completes the tzaddik, the years of the tzaddik, from day to day, from month to month. Because in the life of the tzaddik, his yard site is synonymous with his birthday. The effect that he had in the world, the impact that he had in the world, while being on this world, was only potential as is the day he was born. But it's actualized and revealed on the day that he passes. Give it to him. The Pasha continues. And tells us of an interesting mitzvah. A mitzvah that we had just completed this past year. Tavshin Ayin Vav was a year after Shemitah, which was Tavshin Ayin Hay, of course. And therefore, Tavshin Ayin Vav was called Shnas Hakel. The entire year is called Hakel. And this is affected until the following Sukkot. Excuse me, a tough Zion. And the mitzvah is commanded in the pasuk. Hakel esom, huanoshim vehanoshim vehataf, vegerecha shabisharecha leman yishmu leman yilmadu veyaro es Hashem alekechem. Vishamrulasis is called Divrei Hatera Hazeid. What's it? Hakel Islam assembled the people. The men, the women, the children, the stranger in your cities. In order that they will hear, in order they will learn, and fear Hashem your God. And they will observe all the words of his Torah. Of this Torah. Mesha's final message to his disciple Yeshua. He instructs, he instructs him on the mitzvah of Hakel. Every seven years, the following the Shemitah year. A Thai Jewish nation gathered in the base Hamidash, in the Holy Temple.
This happened on the holiday of Sukkot. And they heard the king read the portions of the Torah. Why is this mitzvah not taught earlier in the Torah? Why is Mesha waiting to literally practice the last mitzvah? When the Jews were taught and told about keeping Shemitah every seventh year, not to work the fields, etc., which is ultimately the barometer for Hakel, because Hakel is the year after Shemitah. So when that mitzvah was taught, why was then the mitzvah of Hakel not taught? Firstly, let us understand that like Shemitah, similar to Shemitah, the mitzvah of Hakel are amongst the mitzvahs that can only be kept in the land of Israel. And therefore, this is mitzvahs that the Eden, the Jews, were only going to experience now at the end of their journey. As they completed their 40 years in the desert, now, these mitzvahs, as they enter to the land of Israel, will now start to come into fruition. The Rambam in Hilchas Chagiga, chapter 3, law 6, describes, explains Hakel, how it was observed. And he writes, almost focus their attention and direct their hearing to listen with reverence on rejoicing with trembling while trembling as on the day the Torah was given at Sinai. Kedichsiv, as Torah writes, to strengthen the true faith. One should view themselves as though they were instructed now for the first time regarding the Torah, as though he's hearing it now from Hashem, from the Almighty Himself. Hakel, they came together in the temple. They gathered around as the king took out and read from the Torah. Performing this mitzvah in order that one should hear, one should learn to fear God. Who came? Ho'anoshim, Hanoshim, Vahataf. The men, for they were commanded, the women to be with them, Vahataf. Rashi says, and why the children? Rashi says, to give the parents the merit, the schus, that they brought the children along. So accordingly, Moshe taught B'nai Yisrael about Hakel, specifically now, at the end of the 40 years in the desert. They're preparing now to enter the Holy Land of Israel, the Holy Land of Israel. The essence of the mitzvah of Hakel, when B'nai Yisrael, when the holy Jewish nation, are in a circumstance that's drastically different from what they experienced in Hasinai, then at that point they need to strengthen their commitment to the Teda. How? Since we're not standing on Harsinai, we're not standing at the Holy Mountain, we're not hearing and not seeing the revelations that took place by the receiving of the Torah. Therefore, we need to reiterate that, we need to strengthen that, we need to put a punctuation mark on it.
And every so often we need to re-fortify. So when they are leaving the land, they are leaving the desert, with which in which they spent 40 years, in which they received the actual Teda, in which they spent 40 years of pure spirituality, living off spirituality, living off the Mun, living off the Bear Miriam, living off only the things that came from spirituality, they are commanded to recreate this ambience, the ambience of the giving of the Teda through Hakil. And thereby strengthening their eternal adherence to Teda's commands. And what is the ultimate adherence? V'yoru es Hashem alaykechem. And you will fear your God. Mo Hashem what is the Almighty requesting from you? Just to fear Him. Simply to fear Him. Simply. That easy action just to fear God. Makes it sound like such a simple thing. Just to fear. Tells us the Tera. Fearing God is a very, very integral part of our behavior, of how we act, how we behave, how we react to things. As we will discuss in Yatsa Hashem, the acts of Aserasimei Tshuva, what one needs to do during Aserasimei Tshuva, what's the basis The basis of the repentance, how one needs to repent to God. Hakilu <coughs> Eli says, Meshir Abinu, towards the end of the Pasha, chapter 31, verse 28. Hakilu Eli is called Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes, your officers. I will speak these words into their ears. Again, as we say, this is the last day of Meshach Rabbeinu's life. Who did the gathering for Meshach Rabbeinu? Hakhilu Eli. Very good. Shevet Levi. The tribesmen of Levi. The Levian. They were to gather of Old Bnei Yisrael so that Moshe Rabbeinu could address them. But Rashi tells us something very interesting here. And it's ironically not what looks like or sounds like this simple explanation of the Parsha. Of the Pasuk. Rashi says, Moshe did not summon the people by the sounding of the trumpets as he normally would. And this therefore affirms what it says in Kohelis. There is no rain on the day of death. One does not have any shlita 
cannot reign over anything or anyone on the day they pass. And since the trumpets were associated with Moshe's rulership, he could not use them to summon the people. Because he did not reign over B'nai Yisrael on the day of his passing. How of color is this? This is an integral part of the flaw, flawed thinking process of mankind. The thinking process that looks at the Nasi Yisrael, that looks at the leader of the land, the leader of the, of the nation, who not only leads the actual nation, but is actually the world leader. And puts a human twist on his existence. Puts a human limitation on his existence. Now we had said before that Meshe Rabbeinu passing on the day of his birthday, on his birthday, shows us and tells us there are no limitations of a tzaddik. But that the tzaddik reaches a level reaches a level that he really, really was not given to reach on while well, in this world. Not not capable of but because he lived within the restrictions of the world. Therefore, he Gave the world what the world was able to cake, what the, able, what the world was able to handle, what the world was able to exist, coexist with him. The tzaddik doesn't always show this spiritual levels of which the tzaddik reaches and ascertains. Hence, when we humanize the tzaddik to want to say or to try to say or to try to translate or try to explain that the tzaddik erred that the tzaddik is making a mistake the tzaddik was not doing something right humanizing the tzaddik. Going as far as even saying the tzaddik was angered when Meshach Rabbeinu struck the stone instead of talking to the stone. Although it sounds actually like Meshach Rabbeinu sinned, God forbid, by striking the stone. So then the question becomes, was Meshach Rabbeinu so holy after all? If he was told to speak to the stone and he struck the stone and the punishment was such a severe one that for this he did not enter the Holy Land of Israel, 
Was he then really, really such a special and holy soul? And the answer is, look at the actual dialogue. Look at what the Almighty commanded of Moshe. When Moshe Rabbeinu was told by the Abishtas, told by the Almighty, to go because Be'er Miriam now dissipated the stone retrieved into a bunch of pile of stones. The Almighty says to him, The Almighty tells Mesha, go talk to the stone, but prior to that the commandment is, take your staff with you. And I don't mean the cooks and the cleaning crew. The staff that he held and walked with. The staff that he waved over the Yamsuf to cook and he cleaned Yamsuf. The staff that made the miracles in front of Pari. The staff that made each and every that brought about each and every Makkah in Egypt. That very same staff that Meshach Rabbeinu hit the rock to begin with in the 40 years prior. The Almighty said, take the staff with you. So when Meshach Rabbeinu comes to talk to the stone, and the stone did not give out the water, Meshach Rabbeinu took to consideration that the Almighty must have meant... Take the staff with you in case the stone does not listen. I don't know how to tell you this, my brothers and sisters, but my friends, how many times has a human being not listened to what they're told? By the biggest authority, the most important authority, by the holiest of holies, they are told, they are given instruction, explicit instruction, and yet do not listen. So much more so a stone, an innate stone, that does what? It stands for what? And if the stone would not listen to you, says the Almighty, the Almighty told him, clear instructions, take the staff with you. So whereas Moshe in essence erred by striking the stone instead of speaking to it, but let us be honest. What was actually flawed here? The flaw that took place was the glory of the Almighty. The Almighty's glory, which was to be sanctified, which was to be glorified by this action, Let's take our own mind's eye and think. If you see someone talk to a a stone and the stone gives out water, the stone is not one that gives out water. You will know it's a magnificent miracle. But if you see the person hit the stone, you look at that same stone that does not give out water, should not rightfully be giving out water, but if it was hit, I could almost rationalize it's giving out water because it was hit hard enough, it was hit at an angle, it had water inside it. I don't know. Because a physical action took place, the glorification of God was not at the same level. And for not sanctifying God's name at that ultimate level, for this, Mesha was punished. And therefore, when we look at the life of Mesha Rabbeinu, there's no place in our logic to quote-unquote humanize the holiness of Mesha Rabbeinu. So now comes the last day of his life. And we want to say that what he was, God forbid, stripped of everything, and therefore could not reign over the Jews, and thereby was not able to use the trumpets to call the people. His status, God forbid, was diminished in any which way, form, or fashion. We just said before that a tzaddik, Every day gets higher and higher, goes Mikhail Khoyal from strength to strength. And if you're keeping score at home, the Gimara in Brachis 
Samach Dalit Amaralif, 64 side A. On the last day of Mesha's physical life, he was certainly at the height of his life's achievements. Not Chasrashon, the opposite. So in that case, it's very clear to us that when we say the reign of a tzaddik, when we say the reign of somebody is not in effect on the last day of their life, this would not be in the case of a tzaddik. So the day of the tzaddik's death is not a deficiency. But the opposite. It's a sign of truly exalted state that he reaches on that day. What is rulership? Rulership needs to be a direct connection between the ruler and those being ruled. There is no king without a nation. And just like the ruler needs to rule, those being ruled need to understand and accept being ruled over. But on the day of the passing of a tzaddik, the tzaddik becomes so transcendent of the people... That that concept, that association, that connects, that it's inherent to ruling over the people and leading them is removed. This is where we see the unique bond between Moshe and the Jewish people. Yes, Mishle is not fooling us and saying there's no rule on the day of death. And it would seem, Chas that Mesha was completely detached from B'nai Yisrael on this day because of his physical passing. Yet nevertheless, he insisted B'nai Yisrael assemble, assemble to him, And beyond the relationship of rulership, Mesha and Israel are bound to one another. Mesha, who Yisrael, Yisrael is a Mesha. So it's a very, very strong bond, connection between the Jewish nation and their leader, Mesha Rabbeinu. Something that cannot be taken away, something that cannot be denied, something that cannot be pushed aside, something that cannot be ignored. And even on the day of his passing, he being the ruler and the leader of the nation, gathers the entire nation to hear his message. And they come together with that very same awe, with that very same love, with that very same feeling that they had been doing so over the past 40 years of Mesha's rulership. Today, as we said, was the fast of Gedalia. The fast of the seventh. As Chedesh Tishrei is the seventh month, starting from the month of Nisan, If, however, Rosh Hashanah comes out on Thursday and Friday, the fast would be on Sunday, as we don't fast on Shabbos, except for Yom Kippur. And if it ever could fall on Shabbos, Asar B'tavis. But Asar B'tavis can also never fall on Shabbos, for that very reason. Whereas any other fast would not be on a Friday, 
For example, if Purim is on a Sunday, Tainus Esther cannot be on Shabbos, so technically you would think maybe we go back to Friday. But then Friday we'd be fasting into Shabbos, into Friday night, and therefore we do not fast on Friday. <coughs> but rather Tainus Esther is on Thursday. Tainus Esther is on Thursday, and since the night after Tainus Esther technically is supposed to be Purim, so we start getting drunk from Thursday night straight through Sunday night. Okay. Yes, hallelujah. Um, <laughs> Some Gedaya similarly would not come out on Shabbos, and therefore it would be pushed to Sunday. Today we did say Anenu, the Chaznat said Anenu by Shachris, and of course the Kahal said Anenu by Mincha as well. Sefateria was taken out in the morning and in the afternoon. In the morning and afternoon, both the Pasha, the Kriya of Ayechal, of the 13 attributes, is read. And the Mincha reading, the third portion, is Maftir as well, and Maftir was recited. So tomorrow being Thursday is going to be very exciting in the shuls since all the Chamashim, all the Sefritera should be in Devarim, the end of Devarim now in Vayelech, but they were brought to the beginning of the Vereshis because of the Roshana Kriya, so they were brought a little bit closer today when they were brought to Vayechal in Kisisa, and tomorrow morning before the reading of the Tera, obviously everyone's going to have to be rolling the Teras back to Vayelech. Or just a little bit tonight. Or just do it by heart. Yes, it's also an idea. Okay. You see it? No. I saw it. What's that? Was killed by Ishmael ben Netanya. Melech Amnon, Amon, Melech Amon instigated and put him up to it. And Gedalia being the last of the Judean autonomy, the last governor from the Judea, from the Yehuda, ruling of Yehuda, this put unfortunately an end, destroying the rule of Yehuda, and many thousands of Jews were slain as well. And anyone that was not killed was driven into exile. The final exile. Nebuchadnezzar, Melech Bovel, destroyed the Beis Hamikdash and sent all the Yidin to Bovel. He allowed an impoverished remnant to still remain in the land. And Gedali ben Achikim was appointed as their governor. At that point, many Yidin that went to Mayav, Amin, Edim, and all the other neighboring lands came back to the land of Yehuda. They took care of their vineyards that the Melch Bubble gave them. And they enjoyed a slight respite after being squashed like cockroaches till then. However, Melch Amin, being hostile and envious of what was left of Yehuda, sent Ishmael ben Netanya to go to kill, assassinate Gedalia. And it was on the seventh month, Ishmael came to Gedalia in the town of Mitzvah, and Gedalia was warned that he's coming to assassinate him, but felt that it was only Lush and Hara that they were talking, and refused to believe anybody. And Ishmael kills Gedalia and many, many people with him. And the rest of the Jews that survived this massacre ran off to Egypt. And therefore referred to as the month of the fast of the seventh. Gedaliah was assassinated in the seventh month. 
there are opinions that Gedali was actually assassinated on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Since we don't fast on Rosh Hashanah, therefore, because it's therefore it's pushed to after Rosh Hashanah. What is the idea? Show to us, sorry, to teach us that the death of the righteous is like the burning churban beis And just like by the churban beis a fast was ordained, known as Tishabov, so too, on the death of the day of the death of the tzaddik, a fast is, fast is ordained. We spoke before that these days are called Asadis Yimei the seven days between Rosh Hashanah Yim Kippur, the seven, and Rosh Hashanah two, and Yim Kippur, the tenth. Now those that have a, a uh, custom to fast throughout the Asadis Yimei since they don't fast on Rosh Hashanah, therefore the Monday and the Thursday before they fast, and by making the rest of the days up. Days are known as Ben Keser La'asr, Keser referring to as Yim Keser, Yim Chagenu, Rosh Hashanah, and La'asr is, of course, Yim Kippur. Ten days of Teshuvah. Teshuvah consists of several parts. regret for what happened prior and Kabbalah and undertaking what to do in the future the Rosh writes since these days are so so special and holy and since the Gemari Yashaomi says Rebchia asked Rav if you find it possible to eat all year impurity, do so. If you can't eat impurity a whole year, at least seven days of the year. The seven days, of course, referring to the days between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. And therefore, there are many, many, many communities that if they're not careful throughout the year with Yisrael and with the past Yisrael, at least during Aseret to be very, very careful with these things. There are certain things that are inserted in Shmanesra. Zachayin Lachayim, Yichamecha, Chseyv Lachayim Tevim, Sefer at the end. We also change, instead of a Kela Kodesh, a Melech Kodesh, instead of a Melech Eir Tzedakah Mishpat, to a Melech Hamishpat. Just as a person needs to repent from every given sin that he's ever done in this world, by repenting, their entire Dalt takes another step and says, their sins actually become merits for them. One needs to think very well how to repent for all they have done. They have to take stock of everything they have done throughout the year, throughout their life, and try to repent any which way, form, and fashion they possibly could. Um a wicked person that had been sinning all different types, robbing and stealing and lying, etc., came to a tzaddik and said, how do I do tshuva? He says, you want to know real tshuva? Is anything, I'll throw myself in a furnace if I have to. He says, don't. He says, I want you to take one thing upon yourself. What's that? He says, go home, eat, drink, whatever you have to do. But, 
Admit the truth. Undertake that you will always admit the truth. This will be your tshuva. And the man felt that every time he wanted to do something wrong, he had to admit the truth afterwards. This refrained him from doing. And with that one given time that he ultimately gave into the Aveda that he was going to do, he did confess immediately, and this was given to him as a forgiving and forgiveness. Shiva, however, is between person and God. One needs to ask forgiveness if they sinned against another person. And therefore we do so. We ask, as I ask each year, forgiveness for anyone that I've wronged. On the other hand, one should not rest until they actually forgave fullheartedly. <laughs> Reb Abba was sitting at the gateway of Lud. You might have told us this story. And he saw a fatigued man coming from the road. The stranger entered the Schurva, says the Gemara. A little hut that was falling apart physically. And he sat down under this tottering wall and fell asleep into a slumber. And Abba was watching him and a snake started to slither its way towards him. Abba was hopeless, was helpless, hapless. There was nothing Abba could do. He was not prepared or capable of fighting the snake. Suddenly an animal came out of who knows where and killed the serpent. When the sleeper finally got his dose of sleep and woke up, he saw the dead serpent right next to him. He got up and he started to walk away. And as soon as he walked away, the whole building collapsed. The wall fell down directly on top of what would have been his head. Reb Abba asked him, What do you do? Tell me about your behavior that God gave you such amazing, amazing miracles. What is it that you do? And the man answered, Never did anyone inflict harm upon me without my effecting a reconciliation with him and extending him immediate, my immediate forgiveness. I have never gone to sleep at night with a heavy heart against another person. If I could not forgive them immediately, I worked on it until I really saw to it that I fully forgave him, and only then did I sleep. In this, he says, I guess in this merit... I was granted these miracles. And therefore, we hear from this story a very, very powerful lesson. A lesson to each and every one of us in how we need to behave, how we need to act. And to be worthy of miracle upon miracle. And Baba cried and said, This man is greater than Yesuf HaTzadik. For although Yesuf was involved with his brothers, and he acted mercifully towards them, And he did forgive them. And he did show love to them. He showed compassion to them. Nevertheless, said Rebbe, this man is even greater than that. Where he does not rest a night, a moment, until he truly has forgiven 
anyone that wronged him in the worst form or fashion. Ibshim ben Lakish belonged to a band of robbers. Ultimately, he did tshuva and became Ibshim ben Lakish, Itana. On the day he passed away, two of his fellow robbers passed away. He went directly to Ganeidin and they, unfortunately, the other direction. <coughs> they said, wait, we were all together, we were thieves together, why are we going in different directions? And said, the Almighty... Because he did tshuva, and they said, let us do tshuva now, and they said, no. Tshuva is only done, repentance is only done, whilst one is alive in this world. And therefore, when it says, Rabbi Elazar said, repent one day before your death, and his Talmidim said to him, person know what day he will die that he can do repentance the day before and he answered all the more so that person should do tshuva on a daily basis knowing that today or tomorrow it may be the day he passes the Dubna Magid said dear children who's your outside? Who's father? Your father. The Dibna said, Dear children, holy precious youth, let me tell you a marshal. A father once walked along a difficult a road with his young son. Whenever it got difficult, narrow, mountainous, river, a valley, the father put the child and his son on shoulders and carried him through. Once they arrived at a fortified city, and it was about dusk, and the gate was securely closed. The only opening in the wall was a small window. And the father says to his son, No, my son, till now I behaved towards you with great compassion. I bore you upon my shoulders, I carried you in my arms. But now your eyes see as mine do. The only way to get into the city is through that little crack. You can get through, but I can't. My child, squeeze yourself through and go around and open the gates for me. This, says the Dibnamagid, is the moral of what we exist. The Almighty provides us throughout the year with everything we need. This day, as we approach God's courtyard in prayer and Shuva, we find the gates locked. Our prayers cannot enter other through a small window, through something that's lighter than eagles. These Shuva, these mitzvahs, can rise and flying birds open the gates of light and mercy the prayer of our fathers, the prayer of our depths of our heart. On Yom Kippur, we ask God for forgiveness. And on Yom Kippur, before Yom Kippur, we ask everyone to forgive us as well. And as I do at this moment, as we said, every year, ask forgiveness for anyone that we wronged throughout the year or ever in history and may the mechila may the find them finding in their heart pure mechila may God be mechil them for everything they say and do and thereby giving everybody a very beautiful happy and sweet new year Yom Kippur is the outside of my dear departed father-in-law very, very special Nishama, obviously, to pass away on Yom Kippur in the middle of Kol Nidre in Yerushalayim Rakhidish. Something you couldn't write the script if you wanted. Shusiyogan Aleinu, the Nishama should have an Aliyah, 
and should be a good and better for all of us and suppositories to be served. At this point, we look forward to Almighty accepting our tshuva by Shabbos tshuva already, Shabbos tshuva, and taking us this very Shabbos out of this horrific, horrible exile Amen. and bringing us to Yerushalayim HaKadosh. Shabbat Shalom and Gemar Chasim Shana Teva Mesukah to all.